This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. What's the first thing you'd do if you had more time in the day? Take a nap? Read a book? Talk with a friend? When you know what's important to you, it's easier to fit it into your schedule. Therapy can help you figure that out. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy that comes to you. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Writer's Voice today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Writer's Voice. This is the Writer's Voice, new fiction from The New Yorker. I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor at The New Yorker. On this episode of The Writer's Voice, we'll hear Jamil Jan Kochai read his story, Occupational Hazards, from the May 23, 2022 issue of the magazine. Kochai's first novel, 99 Nights in Logar, was published in 2019 and was a finalist for the Penn Hemingway Award. His story collection, The Haunting of Haji Hotak and Other Stories, will come out in July. Now here's Jamil Jan Kochai. Occupational Hazards 1966 to 1969 Sheep Herder, Dinao Logar Duties included leading sheep to the pastures near the Black Mountains, measuring the distance between the shadows of chinar trees on dirt roads, naming the sheep after prophets from the Quran, who, according to Haji Atal, were all sheep herders at one point in their lives, reciting verses from the Quran to dispel jinns, borrowing fruit from neighbors' orchards for sustenance, watching sheep, counting sheep, loving sheep, understanding the nature of sheep, protecting sheep from bandits, witches, wolves, rapists, demons, and half-brothers, nicknamed the captain and the king, taking younger brother Watuk along to the pastures, swimming in a stream with Watuk instead of watching sheep, losing two sheep, getting beaten by the captain for losing sheep, leaving Watuk at home and never taking eyes off sheep again. 1969-1975, grade school student, Dinao Logar. Duties included sneaking away from home on the first day of school to sign up for classes without permission from Haji Atal, who thought school was for communists and kafir, registering identity with the government minister at the local school office, existing for the first time in the official records of King Zair Shah's modernist regime, begging Haji Atal for forgiveness, walking two miles to school barefoot without a notebook or a pencil or Haji Atal's forgiveness, sitting on the bare clay of a small room filled with dust and dirt and the eager panting of fifty pairs of lungs, fashioning a pen out of chinar branches, mixing white clay from the riverbeds with water and berries to create ink, 
dabbing and swirling and turning alifs into trees and noons into boats and memes into blossoms, gradually learning to read and write in Farsi and Pashto, excelling at arithmetic, attempting to avoid trouble with the schoolboys, fighting with the schoolboys, earning a reputation as a brawler, earning the nickname Atal's Wolf, earning Haji Atal's forgiveness, studying the auspicious and honorable kings of Afghanistan, coming home from school to discuss the auspicious and honorable kings of Afghanistan, and hearing from Haji Atal that almost all of them were traitors, sadists, cowards, pompous weaklings, and servants of the English, returning to school to question the honor of kings, arguing with Malem Sahib, standing up before the class of 50 boys, some of them ragged and dirty, some of them still bleeding from rock fights in the yard, hand outstretched, palm open, and accepting the thrashing from Malem Sahib, who was so malnourished and whose arms were so slender and whose switch was so flimsy it didn't even break skin, rubbing calloused flesh and smiling, returning home triumphant, bidding farewell to the captain when he was sent to America for military training by President Dawood Khan, who had recently overthrown Zahir Shah, the last king of Afghanistan. 1971-1982 Farmer, Dinao Logar Duties included plowing fields, scattering manure, planting seeds, ensuring the fair and equal distribution of water throughout the village by maintaining a series of interconnected canals extending from the Logar River, picking apples and tomatoes, shucking corn, harvesting wheat, rice, onions, potatoes, beets, carrots and ganana, avoiding beatings from half-brothers, hiding watak from half-brothers, teaching watak the tricks of the plow, the shovel, the hammer, the sickle fork, and the fist, laboring alongside watak in the wheat fields and apple orchards, watching him try to keep pace, laughing at his failures, chopping down chinar trees with Haji Atal and ignoring his calls to slow down, clearing 20 chinar trees in a day, impressing Haji Atal, and injuring left wrist in the process, not knowing that the wrist was broken until two days later when it swelled to the size of a cantaloupe, receiving permission from Haji Atal to travel to Puli Alam to see a doctor who fashioned a brace with sticks and tape and shreds of cloth, resting broken arm for several weeks, slowly mending, healing, hearing word of the return of the captain, climbing up onto the roof of Haji Atal's compound to gaze at the spectacle of the captain flying an F-4 phantom above Dinao, dreaming of jets for years afterward. 1972-1976 Merchant's Assistant, Mandai, Kabul Duties included waiting sleeplessly for three days and nights before the trip to Kabul, accompanying Haji Atal on the short walk to the market village of Wagjan, where buses from Kabul showed up every few days at Fajr, tugging along a donkey strapped to the limit with goods to barter or sell, sitting with Haji Atal on the steps of a shop in Wagjan in the cold of the morning, wrapped up together in a shared patu, watching the headlights of the bus float through early morning mist, journeying from Logar to the Monday markets in Kabul, following Haji Atal through enormous crowds of shoppers and sellers and servants and guards, learning Haji Atal's haggling technique, selling wheat, corn, 
fat, oil, sheep's wool, vegetables, buying flour, cloth, linens, shoes, jackets, and chaplaks, hauling supplies, inspecting quality of supplies, eating freshly grilled shish kebab on the street, seeing the lights of the shops in Kabul glimmer like fairies, rushing to catch the second-to-last bus back to Logar, resting head on Haji Atal's wiry arm, returning home at night, meeting up with Watuk on the roof of the compound, telling him Haji Atal's stories, falling asleep with Watuk beneath the starry sky. 1976-1978, Merchant, Monday, Kabul. Duties included receiving instruction from Haji Atal to head to Kabul alone with an allotment of cash, waiting in Wajan alone, journeying to Kabul alone, haggling with merchants alone, purchasing necessary supplies for no more than half the asking price alone, sneaking into the latest Amitabh Bachan film alone, hearing word of the political strife among the communists in Kabul alone, cursing the communists in Kabul alone, fighting a pack of college students alone, barely escaping a terrible beating by rushing through streets and alleys and open sewers alone, staining new clothes with sewage alone, bathing, clothed, in the Kabul River alone, sitting on the edge of a bridge above the Kabul River to dry in the setting sun alone, returning home on the last bus out of Kabul alone, resting head against window of bus and dreaming it was the bony shoulder of Haji Atal alone. 1976 to 1979, high school student, Dinao Logar. Duties included studying history, algebra, chemistry, biology, English, Pashto, Farsi, Arabic, physics, discussing communism, Stalinism, Maoism, Islamism, Salafism, Wahhabism, and Jihad with distressed peers, pledging loyalty to Dawood, then Taraki, then Amin, then Karmal marching to the tune of communist chants, hearing word of purges and coups in Kabul, hearing word of the murders of imams and elders in Puli Alam and Baraki Barak, noticing the disappearance of dissident students and teachers from school, seeing communist soldiers arrive in Denao in the middle of the night to arrest the captain because of his military training in America, listening to the lamentations of his wife and daughters, praying for the captain to live, after years of praying for him to die. 1977 to 1979, Mujahid recruit, Dinao, Logar. Duties included gathering old English rifles with cousins and neighbors and traveling up to the Black Mountains, meeting with Mujahideen forces recently arrived from as close as Baraki Barak and as far away as Bamiyan, guiding Mujahideen fighters through the mountains of Logar all the way to Peshawar, climbing cliffs and sleeping in caves and mosques in the homes of friendly villagers and waking up repeatedly throughout the night to make sure rifle was still there and listen for wolves. Heading to Kabul with the king to retrieve the captain upon his reported release from prison, ordered by Chairman Karmal after the Soviets had executed Chairman Amin for the execution of Chairman Taraki. Waiting with thousands of other Afghans, lined up from Ghazi Stadium to Pulicharhi Prison, 10 miles down the road, searching for their disappeared sons or brothers or fathers, witnessing the release of only a few hundred prisoners, the captain, alhamdulillah, among them, 
journeying back to Logard and listening to the captain's harrowing tale of prisoners buried alive in a mass grave, which wriggled and moaned for three whole days. Continuing to attend the high school overrun by communists while secretly assisting the Mujahideen. Dropping out of high school in 12th grade after a failed sickle fork ambush. Growing out hair and beard. Joining the forces of Molana Muhammad Nabi. Waiting for the call to action, to ambush, to kill and die for the sake of Allah. 1980 to 1981. Mujahid, Dinao Logar. Duties included transporting a rewired Soviet bomb that had landed in the center of Haji Atal's compound without exploding, avoiding communist kill squads and Soviet air power, planting the rewired Soviet bomb near the bridge above the Logar River, where Soviet patrols often cross, waiting in the branches of a mulberry tree for the arrival of enemies, watching a tank approach the bomb, hearing but not seeing the bomb explode, smelling the stench of cooked flesh, returning home and sniffing wheat, flowers, dirt, leaves, shit, wood, gunpowder, anything, anything else, firing on Russian tanks and patrols, firing and missing, firing and never killing, surveilling the skies for Soviet helicopters from the roof of the compound with Watak, warning family when air raids approached, huddling in a bomb shelter with Watak and mother and little sisters, breathing bomb smoke and shattered earth, burying the tattered remnants of neighbors and friends and women and children and babies and cousins and nieces and nephews and a beloved half-sister named Khoro, refusing Watak his right to jihad by referring to the 20th hadith from the Book of Jihad and the Sunan al-Nasai because someone must live for mother and little sisters. 1982, Reaper, Dinao Logar. Duties included cutting wheat in the dark of pre-dawn with Watuk so that the family would not starve to death while waiting out the occupation, dodging communist patrols and Soviet helicopters, hiding among stalks of grain with Watuk as the headlights of tanks and armored trucks cascaded above, seeing a searchlight flow closer and closer, considering Watuk's plan to split up and take different routes home to divert the communists. Wavering, 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 agreeing to Watuk's plan, splitting up, rushing home, getting spotted by a patrol, dodging a hundred bullets and two rockets, making it home only to find out that Watuk had been caught by a patrol and executed on the bank of a canal in the shade of a mulberry tree, learning that five other family members had also been murdered spending all of the next night digging graves and collecting limbs, seeking blood, seeking death, seeking the solitude of gunfire, watching little sisters, twelve and three, search for roots in the dead garden, deciding to live, to leave, asking Haji Atal to abandon Logar, arguing with Haji Atal about abandoning Logar, leaving Haji Atal in his bombarded compound, gathering the rest of the family along with a number of donkeys and horses, fleeing. 1982, refugee, Peshawar, Pakistan. Duties included traveling on horseback through the White Mountains toward Peshawar, 
hiding in bushes and caves and canals to avoid communist patrols, looking after aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, mother, and sisters, getting caught up in the middle of a firefight between Soviets and Mujahideen on a desert road, losing track of sisters in the chaos, searching for them on horseback and hearing the echoes of their voices in the mountains, finding sisters on a stony trail of junipers with their feet bleeding and their throats dry, eager to return home, reaching the camps in Peshawar, sleeping in a dried canal on a barren plain, setting up tents nearby, gradually building up walls of mud around the tents, searching for work, cutting and hauling wheat for 12 hours straight for 50 rupees a day at a local farm, breaking stones in the Kirana Hills where General Zia was obliterating mountains to build a testing facility for Pakistan's first atomic bomb, working two weeks at a time, 13 hours a day, no breakfast, no lunch, only one huge meal in the work camp at night, filling a dolly behind a huge tractor with as many of the dynamited mountain stones as possible, breathing dust and earth, breathing stone and tar, never coughing, never tiring, never hurting, turning mountains into roads, saving up enough money to hire a donkey to retrieve Haji Atal after any hope for the salvation of Dinao had been lost, finding Haji Atal in his wreck of a home, still brandishing the ancient sword he'd used to chop down English invaders during the Third Anglo-Afghan War assuring the old man that the men and the family would return to fight off the Soviets just as soon as the women were settled, trekking back to the tents in Peshawar, not knowing that Haji Atal would never see Logar again, receiving word that the captain's military connections in America had finally come through, flying on a passenger jet across the ocean to a distant land called Alabama. 1984 to 1989, Assembly Line Montgomery, Alabama. Duties included renting a small trailer in Mobile, right beside the trailers of the captain and the king, finding work at an auto parts factory along with half-brothers and half-nephews and Korean, Chinese, Hmong, Laotian, Cambodian, and Vietnamese immigrants, replacing local black workers because the white factory owners seemed eager to be rid of them assembling harness wires for Dodge, Chrysler, and Volvo vehicles for $3.50 an hour, 10 hours a day, purchasing groceries and medication for Haji Atal, who, at 93 years old, wouldn't stop asking after Watuk's whereabouts, promising Haji Atal that he would be able to return home any day now, driving youngest sister to and from grade school, keeping the fact of youngest sister's education hidden from Haji Atal, slowly picking up English from Three's Company and Wheel of Fortune and Sesame Street and friendly co-workers, hearing about a community of Afghan refugees in California, tiring of the ghost of Alabama, saving up enough money to buy a Chevy Astro minivan, hauling Haji Atal and mother and sisters across the country and leaving the captain and the king behind forever. 1989 to 1991 Plumber's Assistant, Rye Coal Engineering, San Francisco, California. Duties included moving into a small apartment in Hayward, California, across the street from another Afghan family torn apart by the killings in Kabul, 
maintaining boilers in buildings in San Francisco for $12 an hour, driving a 1950s Ford F1 from worksite to worksite through the chilly fog of the city by the sea, filing citizenship paperwork, visiting the Golden Gate Bridge with mother and sisters but not the bedridden Haji Atal, searching for a wife in Fremont, passing citizenship exam, failing to find a wife in Fremont, quitting job as a plumber's assistant in order to fly back to Pakistan to find a wife in Peshawar because civil war was still raging in Afghanistan between the Mujahideen warlords and the puppet president Najibullah, roaming the dirt roads of the refugee camps, hearing word of a family from Logar, old neighbors with an eligible daughter, visiting said family with two old aunts, meeting the girl's father, a pharmacist, once jailed and tortured by the communists for giving medical aid to Mujahideen, impressing the girl's father with stories from the jihad, receiving the shirini, seeing fiancé for the first time in a room of flowers and mirrors on wedding day, realizing she was only 18 years old, promising her a good life and all her Islamic rights, beginning the paperwork for her visa, spending a few short weeks together at her father's home, learning that she had left Logar when she was only six and that she hardly remembered Afghanistan, wondering if it would have been better to have forgotten, heading back to America to search for more work. 1991-1992, Newspaper Delivery Man, Hayward Daily Review, Hayward, California. Duties included filling the trunk and back seat of a Nissan Maxima with copies of the Hayward Daily Review, delivering papers from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., calling wife every other night with shitty phone cards that always ate two minutes out of every five, finding out wife was pregnant, learning that the pregnancy would delay the visa process, delivering more papers, completing wife's visa paperwork after she passed her interview at the embassy in Peshawar, quitting job as a newspaper delivery man in order to fly back to Pakistan to pick up wife and child. 1992-1994, Rug Merchant, Caravans, San Francisco, California. Duties included showcasing rugs, lifting 200-pound rugs onto racks mounted along walls, cooking and cleaning for Agasayab, a wealthy Azara businessman from Kabul coming up with absurd plans to sabotage Agha Saib's brother and main rival, Saeed Saeb, who owned a different rug shop one block away, hosting parties at the store, serving the legendary Ustad Mawash, hearing her sing in person, witnessing the birth of a second son and the death of Haji Atal, escorting Haji Atal's body back to Pakistan because the Mujahideen were now at war with the Taliban and there was no way to enter Logar locating a graveyard atop a steep hill in Peshawar, where Haji Atal was born 104 years earlier, the eldest son of the nomad Lohr, who was the son of the nomad Sayyid Akbar, who was the son of the nomad Madat, who was the son of the nomad Azmat, who was the son of the nomad Shahi, who died attempting to kill a tiger with his bare hands, losing job as a rug seller in the process. 1995 to 1999, convenience store clerk, 7-Eleven, San Lorenzo, California. Duties included riding the BART every morning to the unincorporated county of San Lorenzo, 
manning the cash register from 6 a.m. to 11 a.m., heading home for an hour-long nap before traveling back to the store to work from 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. for $15 an hour cash. Witnessing the birth of a third son. Watching older sons ransack the store for candies and chips with almost total abandon. Paying for their snacks when they left. Watching an episode of The Simpsons for research and noting the unrealistic depiction of the cashier named Apu, who has neither a wife nor children to keep him working through the long graveyard shifts at the Quickie Mart. Watching youngest sister graduate from San Lorenzo High School paying for her books and fees at the University of California, Davis, getting robbed at gunpoint four times in one year, receiving a tip that a tax on tobacco would raise the cost of cigarette packs across the state, buying $5,000 worth of cigarettes and selling them six months later for a profit of $15,000, saving enough money for a trip back to Logar, quitting job as a cashier, taking wife and three sons to Logar, walking the trails and fields and orchards of the now for the first time in 17 years, visiting the graves of Watuk and Choro and all the other martyrs, telling sons to pray for their souls, to name their names, to remember where they died, and how and why. 2001 to 2007, lawn technician, West Sacramento, California. Duties included moving into a small house in Broderick, only 20 minutes away from youngest sister's apartment at the University of California, Davis, passing the GED exam, applying for positions that required a verifiable high school education, driving a chemical truck to clients' homes in Roseville, Rockland, Auburn, Grass Valley, Calusa, Georgetown, and Stockton, including the house of all-star power forward Chris Weber, hauling chemicals, spraying chemicals, breathing chemicals, searching for pests or decay in grass and gardens and trees, becoming a top technician by the end of the first year, receiving a top-notch health insurance plan with dental and vision coverage, purchasing a two-story home in Bridgeway, opening door of new home one morning, shortly after 9-11, to discover a pair of FBI agents on front porch inviting them inside and answering their questions about the Afghan Jihad in the 80s, telling the truth, escorting the agents outside and never seeing them again, spraying up to 400,000 square feet of land per year, winning Employee of the Year Award for 2002 and 2003, witnessing the birth of first daughter, training lawn care recruits, winning Employee of the Year Award for 2004, working every hour of overtime offered, waking up at 6 in the morning and returning home at 6 in the evening, witnessing the birth of a second daughter, being passed over for a promotion in 2005 and 2006 and 2007, getting rear-ended by a semi-truck toward the end of a shift in 2007, tearing nerves and neck and shoulder and spine, losing the ability to walk for several days, receiving workers' compensation for exactly one month, suffering impossible pain in neck and shoulders, seeing a doctor and being accused of exaggerating pain, getting denied further workers' compensation, losing job, hiring a lawyer. 2007 to present, unemployed, West Sacramento, California. Duties include filing a suit against former company for workers' compensation, 
filing a suit against trucking company for pain and suffering and medical bills, applying for disability insurance, Medi-Cal, food stamps, and welfare, paying court costs and mortgage and electricity and gas and water and car insurance and medications out of savings account and with maxed out credit cards, seeing a second doctor, being prescribed medication for pain, for migraines, for muscle aches, for extreme pain, for acid reflux, for blood pressure, for insomnia, for unbearable pain, for drowsiness, dizziness, constipation, diarrhea, swelling, stiffness, and sadness. Selling ganana and fruit at the mosque for extra income. Obsessively keeping track of plummeting home value. Watching neighbors move out of foreclosed houses. Allowing wife to sew and sell Punjabi Kali, earning an income for the first time in her life. Accepting cash from sons who landed part-time jobs in high school and then college. Going to the emergency room because of pulsing fire and neck and shoulders. Lying in a hospital bed begging doctors for help, weeping into burned, calloused, broken, punctured, hardened, torn, useless hands, passing out, receiving injections directly into the spinal cord, settling into a routine of medication, finally winning the case against trucking company eight years after the initial injury, receiving a one-time payment of $100,000, 20% of which went to the lawyers, another 20% to pay off old debts, and the rest cut into the mortgage, hopefully ensuring that wife and kids would always have a home. Watching oldest son finish college, attempting to persuade him to pursue law school, gradually accepting that he planned to study writing. Watching second son finish college with a degree in history, of all things learning that he planned to become a teacher, attempting to do a bit of yard work before a sudden movement triggered the lightning bolts of neck and shoulders, collapsing during Tarawe prayers, reapplying for disability insurance with the backing of several doctors of various specialties, standing before a wealthy white judge who never labored a day in his life, pleading for justice, being rejected for disability, hearing word of the death of the king, returning to Alabama for his funeral, finding an entire town filled with hundreds of cousins and nieces and nephews, visiting the family of the king and leading the Janazah prayer, running into the captain, who, at 90-something years old, was still determined to fight over his inheritance, though his land in Logad was unreachable, though all the old memories were becoming unclear and meaningless, though oblivion was approaching leaving Alabama until the next death, waiting for sons to begin their careers, waiting for daughters to begin college, waiting for wedding days and funerals, waiting for good grades and graduations, waiting for sleep and food and time and joy, waiting for the pain to ebb. 2016 to 2019. Witness, West Sacramento, California. Duties included answering oldest son's questions regarding the history of Afghanistan, of Logar, of the family, the deaths of uncles and aunts and cousins, the flight from Logar, the years in Pakistan, the nature of migration, recording the story of Watuk's death for the first time, speaking him alive again, whispering for him to stay there in that field, amid the wheat, with the searchlights floating, illuminating dust, specks of earth, swirling, 
just swirling, grasping Watuk's hand, his beautiful, slender fingers, feeling for his wrist, his pulse, counting the beats of his heart, counting the beats of his heart to slow down time, slowing down time, suspending the gaze of the searchlights, the approach of the communists, the ascent of the sun, the pulse of Watuk's heart, then allowing it all to continue once more. That was Jamil Jan Kochai reading his story, Occupational Hazards. This is his third story in the magazine. You can hear more New Yorker fiction read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker apps available from the App Store or from Google Play. On the New Yorker Fiction Podcast, we invite writers to choose stories from the magazine's archives to read and discuss. This month, Camille Bordas reads A Father-to-Be by Saul Bellow. You can subscribe to that and other New Yorker podcasts by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. Tell us what you thought of this podcast by rating and reviewing The Writer's Voice in Apple Podcasts. Our theme music is by Jordan Batiste and Ross Michaels of North American Plastics. The Writer's Voice is produced by Michelle Moses. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening.